Rogers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Five shot final, JCM Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Joe Patrick from 92.9 The Game and Dirty South Soccer is over there. Joe Patrick, big news. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone is tweeting about it. Everyone is sending out smoke signals, the like, about it. 100 patrons. 100. Oh, 100. Yes. 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 I think we're yes, up to like 102 or 3 now. We had some, uh, after the big night last night, we've had some uh, oh. people come on board. Did, did something happen last night? Something happened. Something happened that's got me a little bit sleepy and drinking coffee while we do this, because I can never go to bed after these things. But uh, what a night, yeah, man. Yeah. What a night that was. It's not fair to, to have these things so late all the way to 10 o'clock and then have, you know, on our end, we have press conferences and, and things to write and everything to do after that. Makes for some some long days, but then you have to go to sleep. And that's hard to do when Atlanta United goes down to the best team in Costa Rica, goes down to 10 men, gets a phantom penalty, penalty call, goes full reverse CONCACAF. This was a, a CONCACAF win for an MLS team. Wins one nothing with a literal high school senior in goal (laughs) and that's like scratching the surface of what this actually was it was insane i mean yeah it's i hadn't even thought about the fact that we actually concacaffed concacaff it seems like which it never works out that way it it seems but what a yeah just a crazy night we had it's easy to forget you know not only the the high school senior in goal i mean franco abara settled in perfectly he looked great last night he's only 19 years old i forget how old santiago sosa is maybe 21 22 you have george bell on the left side such a young team it's so impressive the way that they were able to just go down there and get the job done even when you know the adversity was against them with the sending off and everything it was just like uh you can't say enough about the performance there are two parts to this game and we're going to talk about both because i think both deserve their equal measure here but there is before Rocco Rios Novos and after Rocco Rios Novos uh, Novo, excuse me, in this game, and both were encouraging for, for different reasons. The first forty minutes before Guzan gets the red card after Barco makes a choice, <laughs> made a choice oh is what we're gonna say. We'll talk more about Zeke, uh, of yeah. course, going forward. Yep. But after that happens. Um, the team buckles down. Miles puts in a hell of a shift. He was phenomenal all night. I thought the, the kid comes in and makes the saves. Like some people are like, they hit it right at him. Well, you got to be in the right spot for them to do that. You know, for it's sure. not like he just completely died out there, even though he's probably not taller than either of us. Is he Joe Patrick? <laughs> That's like, it was like the, the, he came in for a free kick and it was almost like the strategy was like, just kick it over his head and into the goal because the, <laughs> cause he can't like, he, he can't even touch. It doesn't even look like he was able to touch the crossbar. Um, you know, he did grow into the game. I thought, I think the first sa- actual save that he had to make, he, he spilled and it could have gone for mm-hmm. Alo Um, but he was able to recover. And then, it just seemed from there on the saves and saves got a little bit more routine looking and you could see the confidence building, I think, in 
in Rocco. I'm just going to call him Rocco for short. Uh, and yeah, it's like our, our our lives are demarcated by before Rocco and <laughs> after Rocco. Of course, of course. Uh, a moment we'll, we'll never forget. Um, it, it's a hell of a way to earn yourself cult status. Exactly. At the very <laughs> least, right? But we'll, we'll talk more about him later in the show and possibly his prospects for more time with the Atlanta United first team. That was not planned. He was on a four-day contract is what it is. It's essentially this weird mechanism where you can pull a player from your USL affiliate for competitions like CCL, like US Open Cup. It was very much not in the cards for him to actually be involved in any way, but Gabriel Heinze said after the game, we liked him. Yeah. And that was kind of it. You know, we liked him. He was the option. Why not? Come along, kid. And, and he did the job. It makes you wonder, it makes me wonder at least, if this team would have plans or now be planning to potentially add him to the MLS roster in the next transfer window that happens or whatever, you know, just sometime later in the summer. Because, it, again, if if Heinze does like him so much over a guy like Ben Lundgaard, who I think is healthy I, I, again we don't really know exactly because we're not at training or anything but um I would assume he's been healthy and available but they still chose to go with uh Rocco and uh again to your point Gabriel Heinz has said the reason why is because they liked what they've seen from him and they trust him there are a few different positions and spots where we maybe weren't quite as sure as we thought about people's availability and if people were available, it may say something kind of large, or it may just say that Gabriel Heinze is a guy who likes to tinker and likes to switch things up and likes to keep his personnel different for, for just about each game, which both are fine, but it, it, it's interesting to kind of see what we can pull from that. We'll get to more of that later. But, uh, you know, Joe Patrick, RIP, Eric Lopez. Oh, that was so crushing. That was so crushing <laughs> to see. I was... I was I thought this was going to be the game for him to really make his impact because you don't have Marcelino Moreno, you know, you don't have Joseph Martinez starting. So what a perfect time for Eric Lopez. And was Jurgen Dam on the bench? I don't even remember. Um, yes, he was on the bench, but he didn't come into the game. Did, did Heinze know that he had five subs he could make in that game because he only made the regular three? <laughs> you have to you have to practice like you play, even if you're actually true, true, playing. True. That's um, what I've always heard. Yeah, so yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't it didn't seem like the team was maybe as healthy as they were meant as they were Gabriel Heinze said they were. He said that basically the whole squad he was, said that everyone was, there. was available yeah. and then they weren't. Yeah. So <laughs> But that kind of con that continues fine. some caginess from this club in terms of how they've done dealt with injuries over the last couple of years, so maybe that's been uh communicated to Heinze. Uh, on how to deal with these in his press conference. But I did think, I just want to say, I thought it was interesting that Anton Walks got the start instead of George Campbell, who had been paired with Miles Robinson in a lot of the preseason scrimmages that we saw. Again, one of the, uh, another reason not to take those preseason lineups uh, to heart too much. That, so that was interesting. Um, and then Jake Mulraney, happy for him that he was able to get the start after seemed to have a really impressive uh, I almost said spring training, which is basically what it was, but uh, preseason because, you know, it did seem like he was scoring quite a bit of goals and assisting on the, a lot of the highlight videos that we saw. So happy for him. Obviously, he got yanked after the red card, but um, I thought he actually asserted himself well in the game. That's one way to look at That's it. That's probably yeah. all we'll yeah. <laughs> say about Jake. No, we have questions coming later it. about Jake. Okay, I, cool. I might have a bit of a differing opinion on that, but I want to get back to sure. the main kind of point which is that, again, those last 50 minutes or so were 
incredible for a team who is integrating new players, integrating new manager, integrating all these new things to go down and still be able to scrape out a win considering all the circumstances of that. They got a little lucky, but part of the ethos of Atlanta United, big capital A, capital U Atlanta United, which was the norm 2017, 2018, even into 2019 as they kind of made that late run, was simply getting things because you are Atlanta United in some sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like just to simply have the confidence to go forward at that point down 10 men, right? Yeah. yeah. Was was good and they got rewarded for it in the same way that they kind of just showed up in this competition because they are Atlanta United, right? And so that kind of confidence building and that kind of even flukiness of, of that has to be really, really encouraging. That being said, the first 40 minutes prior to Rocco Rios Novo were also very encouraging, I thought. And I think anyone who says otherwise is, is probably wrong, right? So you have a team that looks like they didn't have the means to execute the ideas to their fullest extent, but knew what those ideas were, knew where to be to make those ideas happen. What will come next in the next stages as this team grows is an ability to execute, turn that in to goals and meaningful chances. Absolutely. I mean, you were, it, this was a shorthanded Atlanta United team. You didn't have Marcelino Moreno. You didn't have Alan Franco. You didn't have Eric Lopez, all three of which are going to be, you know, key elements to this team. Um, at least the first two. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a huge testament to them. And to be fair, like if anybody has a critique of this game uh, uh, in regards to Atlanta United, which to be fair, I haven't not really seen many, but I think it's true. And Gabriel Hines, they said this after the game that they weren't sharp, like they weren't um, executing to your point, as you said, but the ideas were there. The confidence was there. The fitness was there. The aggression was there. Like all the other things were there. And so I think that you can only just expect that quality once you get players, these the top quality players back into the side, you're going to see more of that be able to manifest itself in the quality attacking play that we've seen, you know, in, in past years with Atlanta United. There were three things in particular that stood out to me. And we can kind of go one by one to kind of talk about that and kind of what you saw from it. The first to me was that they were able to break lines, not only with their passing positioning, but with their ability to progress the ball forward by dribbling, right? And that happened a few times with Miles, which I thought was super encouraging to see him step up from center back. He even split a couple of guys once, I think, that really kind of gave him an acre of space to, to move into at that point. It's something we saw in all the highlights of Belisar's field under Einze was the center backs pushing up, breaking those lines and everything like that. And then also the passing, where you can kind of break lines, move in to the final third, through those progressive passes and people positioning and those triangles that people like Mikey Ambrose have talked about, where you have fullback, a uh, midfielder, and a winger kind of all working together, right? Those were working really well. The rotations were there. Everything was there for that to work. Totally. I think that I, the the three three one three that we've kind of learned about and obviously is, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of Marcelo Bielsa's brainchild, 
I thought that that was actually pretty clear. You could see it at times, them kind of taking up that shape when they're in the buildup phase, which is obviously when they're going to be in that kind of formation. When they're out of out of possession, they'll drop into a different shape. Uh, but I thought that you could really see it. With Brooks Lennon was kind of tucking in a little bit. Jake Mulraney was staying wide on that right-hand side. And then George Bello was basically playing as a left winger. And I know that some people earlier in the game were, were kind of, um, you know, noting that he was getting – they were saying, you know, people were tweeting like, you know, he's getting burned or whatever, like people are getting in behind them. But I think that honestly, like that's just by the product of the fact that he's he's playing as a winger, essentially, when the team's in attack. So it's not really necessarily his responsibility to be like tracking the opposing winger coming back the other way. He has teammates that can help cover for him and then he can fall back into position. And perhaps that is somewhere where Alan Franco can come in. Yes. And help a lot. Perfect. On that left side. Because Anton is is not that kind of guy. He's going to be able to to do the same things that Mile does, where he gets back and is just so athletic that it kind of takes over. Right? And, yeah. Franco may have that. And we saw Miles Robinson and Anton Walks both doing this at times when the ball was turned over. Again, this was happening more when the team when it was eleven v eleven, um, and they were really trying to counter press. But it was those center backs who were actually stepping up into the play and trying to win the ball back in those areas. And sometimes Miles would win it, and then he'd be in a ton of space, like you were saying, because there was so much space in between those lines. It was just really interesting tactically. It didn't, again, it didn't all come off probably the way that they would have drawn it up, but it did at times. And those times were pretty exciting. There was obviously, it was the one chance that finished with, uh, Sandra Lopez just missing a goal, but it was a beautiful kind of setup with, um, Santiago Sosa, you know, dribbling out of the back, uh, breaking that line, as you said, spraying the ball wide to Bello, who then played in Barco, who then, pulled it back to Lissandra Lopez like that is how you draw it up right there and that brings up the second point that I wanted to talk about which was the ability of the folks in the central midfield that was largely Sosa who we'll talk about more but Ibarra there too other folks who were kind of moving centrally and their ability to spread the ball wide and the actual space that Lennon and Bello had all those things were there all those things are staples of what we saw from when we went back and watched those Villa Sarsfeld highlights and games and everything like that that was a crucial piece of it. And to watch Sosa especially, who was so, so good in his first game, I thought. Mm-hmm. To do that consistently and to have attacking threats like Lennon and like Bello there to, to execute that, that is extremely encouraging. I loved Sosa's game last night. And I, it's not mm-hmm. just the way he fit into the whole, the big tactical picture, which is, you know, that was definitely encouraging. But I also just love the little things that he was doing that show you kind of the quality of I think the quality of soccer that he was kind of raised in in that in that river plate system where just knows the right time to make a little foul. Um, there was the one time at the end of the game where he just dribbled the ball up the field because nobody was nobody <laughs> was closing him down. And he drew mm-hmm. a foul, which was huge for the team because it kind of just wasted a bunch of time. He seems to have that kind of experienced uh, head about him where that you don't always have with a 21 year old player. So, again, these guys really they don't play like they are as young as they are let me tell you the best sosa moment of the night and i think maybe i was one of the few people who actually caught this but miles robinson got a knock on the head someone came up behind and he beat them to the ball a guy kind of like elbowed him in the back of the head and and miles went down for a little bit when miles got up sosa went over Pulled his head down and gave him a little kiss on top of the head. <laughs> that was beautiful. Said it's going to be okay, buddy. And the camera hard cut right from that. It was like too much for, for the camera. But it uh it ruled. Yeah. I loved it. It was it was really funny. It, God, it just was really funny and, and encouraging. There was so much personality in that little 
movement. And that was something we wondered about this team is whether or not they were going to have the personalities to make this a team that was enjoyable on top of the playing style and everything like that. And little things like that go a long way to showing us that not only are they going to be entertaining, but that they actually give a shit about each other, right? Yeah. And if that continues, that's another thing. That's another thing on, on the checkbox of getting Atlanta United back to capital A, capital U, Atlanta United. Yeah, totally. And and on that point, I think that one of the the best things about last night for me personally was just uh like I was kind of emotional watching the team just like yes, like this is this is how it should be. Like this is it's this is how I should feel when I watch this team, you know. Dude, let me let me tell you. I got I, I this is not a joke. I straight up got emotional at Toad. <laughs> Like the toad thing that I always yeah, post yeah. and have posted for years for every game. I kind of did like a build up to it. And people were like, hell yeah, give me toad. Give me toad. I want toad. And like just to have people be like excited for this really stupid bit was like, this is this is so fun. I'm so glad this is back. And I felt things. I felt things I did. I did want to mention the third thing, though. I did want to mention the third thing, and this is kind of the last thing we'll get to before we get to y'all's questions. Y'all had a whole, whole bunch, but I enjoyed the aspects. You kind of touched on it a little bit with the center backs pressing up to try to win the ball, but I could see a legitimate counter press happening at times. I think there was a little too much space at times still for people to kind of break that press, that mm-hmm. counter press especially, but when... Atlanta lost the ball in those positions. It seemed that they at least had some idea of what the trigger should be for that counter press to go in, and, and they were somewhat effective in executing it. I was just glad to see the idea. Yeah, for sure. And again, I think that when you have players like Marcelino Moreno, I think is going to be an excellent counter presser in this system. He just kind of has that natural built-in aggression. He kind of wants to get stuck in. I think having a guy like him in this in this team will make that even better. And Alan Franco, like we said. Um, I think it's really interesting how with those center backs pushed up, like those are players who just naturally have more ingrained defensive instincts. So there, it makes sense to have them up in those positions who are able to uh, apply that pressure when it's needed. I think again, to your point, there will be some fine tuning that needs to happen in terms of, you know, how they, how they will cover some of that dangerous space. But Gabriel Heinze said one of the things that he was pleased with in the game was just the players winning one-on-one individual battles. That's obviously something Frank DeBoer talked about a lot as well, um, maybe towards the end when they kind of switch. But that is something that we've talked about on this podcast over and over again where this team has always played its best when there's danger, when when they play kind of on the knife's edge of winning or losing individual battles, but they've got the talented defenders to be able to win a lot of these battles. And when they do win them, that puts them in an advantageous position. And that was business time. On to your questions. <laughs> what a break. What a break. The Rocco Rios Novo of Breaks, Joe, Patrick. You guys had a whole bunch of questions, and I think we're going to cover literally every detail of this game, which is what we're here for. We are named Five Stripe Final. After all, this was kind of the whole point of the original show in the first place. But now we just have a few more of y'all listening, which makes us happy. We'll start with this question from Blue and tie in a question from JB as well, and it's kind of gotten out what we've been talking about the whole time. But Blue asked, how happy were you to watch a team with a clear idea of what it was doing? JB follows up by asking, trying to assess the team by comparison now the Wednesday looked talented and seemed to play pretty hard, right? Or am I just being overly excited about a one-goal win 
Sure, everyone was a touch sloppy at times, but lots of skill and effort, right? Please confirm. We can confirm, JB. We can confirm. I, I don't know. I really do think that everyone should be positive and happy. Because, again, this was a result that even teams at full strength at points in their development where they didn't have a new manager coming in or a whole bunch of new players coming in have struggled. This is only the eighth win in the last nine years for an MLS team on the road. Wow. In CCL. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, and there was like, that was like 2012 to 2019. There was one team who did it. Right. So that shows you a lot of, it shows you a little bit about the quality of MLS, obviously improving, but it also shows you that this was just really, really difficult. This was a team that hadn't lost since November. Yeah. November under any circumstances, this is an incredible win. Under these circumstances, it's better than incredible. I don't have the word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, JB, you're right. And I think that most people who watched the game could see that Ala Hulenze was a talented team. Like They looked mm -hmm. dangerous. They looked threatening. Um, I thought Atlanta United was just really clever both well I thought they were good um they had uh yeah and again to Blue's point like they had a very clear idea of what they were doing at the beginning of the game but they were also very clever after they went down to 10 men um Gabriel Heinze explained this after the game in a way that I don't know if I've heard it explained this way but he said that the new shape was a back five with a square in front of them because you just wanted to control the middle and just let them have the wide spaces they can take the wide spaces you can just let Anton Walks and Miles Robinson head those balls away, those crosses into the box, um, but just don't let them control the middle. It was a it was a good strategy, and it worked out. <laughs> and um, it's just amazing to see that kind of nuance, the team to be able to adjust to all that adversity uh, without really seeming to miss a beat. Again, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't executed perfectly in terms of every pass. You know, the passing, does. there is some things that need to be worked on. Some of the movements, I thought Barco was pretty sloppy for most of the game. But it was, a, on the whole, it was just a great team performance. JB kind of hits at something, too, that does make this good, is that this Alho Wednesday team is pretty good. And you kind of looked, I watched both games last night. I watched Portland take on Marathon, and then this one as well. And there was a noticeable uptick in quality, I thought, from Alho Wednesday to, to Marathon. And Marathon scored twice on Portland, you know? Portland had 11 people, you know? Mm -hmm. And everyone returning except for, for two fullbacks, essentially. You know, so I mean, it, uh, yeah, and it, it's and it bodes stop. well for the it bodes well for the second leg because Alohulenze apparently is going to not be able to bring their full roster to the United States because of visa restrictions. So uh, you certainly mm. feel like you're in great shape going into the second leg. You feel like you're in good shape. You are going to be missing Brad Guzan though. That's and true. Michael ask felt like before Guzan went off we built up the right side primarily was this a function of them taking away bello and barco or something else there did if you looked at the heat maps that's definitely true there was a lot more touches for atlanta united on the right side and i don't know i haven't rewatched the game so i haven't taken that close a look at maybe what alohuelense could have been doing to try to stifle them but i'm sure that they were keying on Ezekiel Barco, who would be tagged as kind of the, mo the most talented player in the Atlanta United team. Uh, and I've, I'm sure they were aware of the threat that George Bellow presented on that left side. It's no surprise that Atlanta's best chance came down that left side, even though it wasn't often that the play was going that way. It did seem like the quality was definitely there. Um, 
So yeah, I'm not sure exactly uh, if that was intentional or not, but it definitely was the case. Speaking of the left side, obviously a big piece missing in Marcelino Marino. We had a couple of questions about him, of course, as he should presumably get integrated back into the lineup in the next leg, unless he is also injured and we just don't know about it, which, I mean, sure, why not? Possibility. I doubt it, but possibility. Doug Vask, though, given what we saw last night, how will Marino's return impact the lineup and style of play we saw last night? Matt asks, do we ask Barco to shift back to the middle of Noreno is back? And who between Heinemann and Ibarra is dropped if it does? And Jacob asks, how does Moreno elevate what we saw last night? Which is pretty much everything we wanted to talk about with Marcelino Moreno all in kind of one big bundle. But we'll start with the first thing from Doug. Again, given what we saw last night, how will Moreno's in turn impact the lineup and style of play? Which I think kind of integrates all of it into one nice thing. I think Marino, the, the biggest thing with him returning to the lineup is he gives you kind of instantly more dynamism going forward in the attack, right? He's a guy who wants to take players on, who takes players on maybe more than anybody um, that, honestly, that we've seen at Atlanta United, like wanting to just take players on one-on-one. Um, so I think that that's the biggest thing you get from him. We already talked about maybe the aggression that he kind of naturally has and the fact that he will be a good counterpresser, but... You know, I thought that last night it was tough because Barco was kind of the only that creative attacking guy uh, in the team. And he re- it really looked like he needed somebody else to be creating that movement with him. But at the same time, you know, I thought it was actually beneficial for Atlanta United. The fact that they had kind of two solid central midfielders who were going to be a little bit more conservative with regards to their movement and things with Heinemann and Ibarra. I thought that that suited them pretty well on the road in that kind of a in that kind of a circumstance, especially when they went down to 10 men. Uh, but I think Moreno just will make this attack look a lot better. I think it'll, like you said, it kind of mentions, uh, you kind of mentioned that it'll move Barco a bit more central as well, which I think will be beneficial to him. And if we want to talk about Barco in depth a little more, I think now is kind of the time. Because on that left wing, in that position, kind of isolated, like you said, is that sole creative force. He was... Both the a top three player and a bottom three player on the field, like at the same time for most of the game, it felt like. Like he would do a few things to be like, oh, okay, oh man, here it comes. Barco looks confident. There was one point where he split a couple of defenders, kept dribbling, and then was like pointing and directing traffic and everything like that. And like, oh man, he's he's telling people what to do. This is like new and improved Ezekiel Barco, right? And then like five minutes later, he passed the ball to no one and Brad Kazan got a red card. Right. right. Exactly. And it was like he was trying to like speed run his entire career in one game. It felt like at certain <laughs> points, you know, like even the penalty where he scored, it still probably should have been saved, <laughs> was, you know, yeah, like so yeah. even when things go right for Zeke, they also go wrong. And I just don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It's been one game. I'm hopeful that when he moves centrally that things will improve for him and that Marcelino will improve that a lot. And to answer that question on kind of who is the odd man out, my guess right now is Ibarra. You should have a midfield of Barco, Heinemann, Sosa, if I had to guess. But I don't know. Who knows? I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we'll see lots of rotation throughout the season between like Ibarra and Hyman just kind of trading off to keep them both fresh throughout the season and what is a position that's pretty physically taxing. 
Which brings up a point that I, I'm just really glad he felt confident enough in Ibarra to go ahead and do that. I just didn't think that confidence was going to be there yet. Clearly it was. Totally, yeah. Uh, as it relates to Barco, about the penalty, I, I was kind of laughing after he scored because uh, he certainly he celebrated like he put it on the postage stamp. <laughs> like he just like roped one to the top <laughs> corner. Uh, but good for him. You know, he should celebrate scoring a goal. I, I'm just, I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, but on him, so... I was doing match ratings last night and kind of like in a different way. We're doing uh, player ratings for this season where I'll just be doing them and they'll be posted right. The final whistle. Um, and you know, I gave him a four, which seems really harsh. And I got to say, you know, just in general on that topic, I was kind of giving these ratings mostly based on the actual execution, which is why they do seem, they probably are lower than a lot of the players deserved. Like a lot of sixes I gave uh, because the, because it technically like technically it wasn't, super proficient like a lot of the higher ratings were for the center backs um but with regards to barco there's kind of two aspects of his game last night to your point um the effort the determination the willingness to show for the ball and get himself on the ball i thought was very very good um he looked he was still sprinting hard toward the end of that game making runs on his own uh, going into the final third just to try it mainly probably knowing that it probably wasn't going to turn out well, but you know, it just helps the team kind of relieve some pressure and things like that. But then there was the actual execution. He was giving the ball away constantly. And the, obviously the one to Brad Guzan is the one that stands out as kind of the worst, but there were some other times where he was played in this such good positions and he just loses it so easily. And it's so frustrating to see because Oh, if there's just that little bit of inequality, then it could be so, so good. I literally screamed at the TV at one point. And I told you what I said, but I'm not going to say it on the, the podcast. But he, he got the ball in a good position, split a couple defenders, was running at like one guy left in front of him and took one touch that was good. And the second touch, he literally booted it like 10 yards yeah. in front of him. And it was like, again, an encapsulation of his entire career in Atlanta at times in these one these minuscule moments it's salvageable though right I hope so you know (laughs) (laughs) after after three years of evidence it could totally change right I keep telling myself well again and one of the other things aside from just kind of the technical sloppiness that he had um, was that again it just seemed like at times he was holding the ball too long he had runners lots of times there would be like bellow making a, a you know a, a lung busting run and he would just opt not to play it which is fine sometimes that's not always the play you need to make but um, it just seemed like it, there were times again where it's that same kind of thing that again that we saw a lot of last year where he just holds the ball too long and then he holds the ball so long that the 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 chances to do something dynamic with it pass and then the team the opposition is back in their defensive shape and the the threat is kind of nullified the word ball stopper keeps getting mm-hmm. thrown around or the the phrase ball stopper keeps getting thrown around a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of and yep <laughs> i don't know what else to say except yep that's just kind of been what it is the last few years and until it changes it is and, what and, it is. And my hope is that with Moreno back in the team, again, that helps that um, to give him another player to play with in the middle of the field where they can play one twos and things like that. Hopefully, essentially, he feels more obligated to shoot as well. I really mm-hmm. like he ripped one last night. He did just just missed. It would have been a hell of a goal. And this narrative would have been completely different, I think, for the most part. Right. Yeah. But we didn't get that. 
we didn't get that. We kind of mentioned that we think Hyman will be the midfielder to kind of hang around along with Sosa when Barco moves back to the middle. If he does, I mean, I guess technically Marcelino could move central. I, I am done, I think, trying to guess Gabriel for a little while, you know. But y'all had a lot of questions about Heinemann. We kind of bunched these together. Uh, we'll, we'll start with John's. John asked, how was your rate Heinemann's play last night? He seemed a bit up and down, but certainly better than most of his performances last year. Uh, Mike followed that up by asking, what are your thoughts on Heinemann being the second captain behind Brad? And a deferring opinion from Smurphy, who says, honestly, couldn't find Heinemann on the field for the first <laughs> 20 minutes i'm not sure if he was talking about the numbers themselves and not being able to see those numbers or if he literally could not find Heinemann. because at some point for me someone in the slack mentioned what has Heinemann done tonight and i went Heinemann's playing <laughs> yeah he has a very specific set of skills and one of those skills is to be a ghost <laughs> <laughs> i he, he plays like he links up play he does you know like you just don't notice him which maybe that's a good thing that you could say take say it's a positive for a central midfielder because he he's at least not making mistakes uh or at least he wasn't last night but there's just not the dyna the dynamism from a central isn't, midfielder isn't that the same thing we used to say about Remedi until we realized he was just bad <laughs> yeah maybe. i don't know but i do, yeah maybe that might be true but you know i think Remedi played a much more crucial role for the team as like a player who you cannot make mistakes in that position like Santiago Sosa plays now. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really, again, I, did, I don't know. I did, I'm with Smurphy. I didn't really, or is it S. Murphy? We've made no, this no, mistake. No, 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 it's Smurphy. Whether he wants it to be or not. <laughs> Smurphy and Grisessa. <laughs> um, A.K.A. Stewart, apparently. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Um, that's funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, he's just an interesting player in, in that regard. Like, he's – again, I asked Matt Doyle about this when we had him on the show, and I, I, I can't figure out Hyman yet. I, I don't know what to think about him. I don't know what it is either. I personally get frustrated with dudes who disappear, you know, and maybe – here's what I've decided I'm going to do. I decided on this before the show even started. I am going to spend one game this year where I do nothing but watch Emerson Hyman. Right? That's a good experiment. Yeah. I used to, I used to do this with Nagby a little bit too, but that was just cause it was kind of fun. You know, I would just spend five minutes watching exactly what Nagby was doing. And, and you could pretty instantly see the value he kind of added with that. I'm very interested to see if that same value pops up for Emerson. Cause I'm not convinced that it will. I just don't know at this point. It's, I don't know. I I'm a bit frustrated with it honestly i think it might be uh beneficial for us to better understand what his role is in the team when we are seeing them in person i think it's sometimes on tv it's hard to pick up on these things again we were talking about this in the discord last night but when you're in when you're at a game in person you see a lot of space and stuff you just get a more full a fuller picture and i'm not even just talking about the press box i'm talking about fans being in the stadium too like that's why it's kind of a different experience seeing the game in person is you, you just see a broader perspective on the field and so maybe that will help us kind of try to understand what his role is I mean clearly his role was to help build up um to make himself available for those center backs um but yeah it was just kind of a conservative effort I was or not effort but a con just a conservative kind of role for him last night 
We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to see what happens too. Again, with the goalkeeper situation now, that Brad Guzan will not be available. We had a couple of questions, of course, about Rocco, who was just delightful in the press conference and everything like that last night. He thanked his girlfriend, which I thought was sweet. That's good. He That's and good Jackson thing. Conway now are two players who have both <laughs> thanked their girlfriends in press conferences. Which I respect. Beautiful. Beautiful. Have to respect it. Have to respect it. Y'all had a couple questions about him, though. Pager asked, thank goodness for Rocco, but what happened to the other two goalkeepers ahead of him on the depth chart? And Nick says, thoughts on the fans out there who want Gazan sent to the bench in favor of Rocco. That just will never happen. Uh, first two goalkeepers, Joe, you may have a couple more insight on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Ben Lundgaard was... <laughs> probably would have been the backup goalkeeper for the game. Um, and yeah. I think, did Alec can have surgery on a shoulder surgery this offseason? I want to say he did, and maybe he's, he's not. He's kind of been perpetually hurt, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what the deal is with Alec Can. He kind of, it feels like he's out of the picture right now, especially with this performance that Rocco put in last night. Um, and again, going back to what we said at the top, what Gabriel Anze said after the game, which is that they just, they like Rocco. Um, as, as the backup keeper. I actually thought Guzan was pretty good in the game while he was in there. Uh, he got put in a bad position by Barco, and he had to make a split-second decision. It could have come off, and he would have looked like a hero. Uh, if, if he gets that ball first, he didn't, so he gets sent off. It's just a, you know, I, I just honestly put more blame on Barco for the red card than Guzan. There was another time where Guzan came way out. Of, he came way out. He was like on the side of his box, um, but he did well. You know, like, like that's a case where he made a split second decision as well, and it turned out all right. And um, I thought the distribution from Guzan was pretty good. It wasn't always perfect, but he was playing some interesting passes. Definitely, he was playing passes out of the back that he never would have played um, under Steven Glass and probably under Frank DeBoer either. There was one I remember specifically where he just like played a pass on the ground through the defensive line into, I can't remember if it was Hyman or Ibarra. It's, it's so interesting to me that this has happened now where there is kind of maybe potentially this narrative that, that Rocco can, can sneak in and yeah, steal yeah. the job. It'll be from a certain section of, of the fan base. That's, that's, I don't know, maybe jumping the gun, just, a, just a teeny bit. We, we kind of talked about it in one of our shows leading up to the season about how we thought this was a guy. They at least seemed curious about potentially taking over for Guzan at some point. We've talked kind of at length too about Guzan's place among the rest of MLS keepers, especially from a statistical standpoint and that it's not great and that it is regressing. And we kind of wondered how long he may last in that position. Uh, but as far as this year goes, Guzan's the guy. Let, let's not, yeah, let's not get too frisky here. We got an 18 year old who still needs to grow a couple inches, right? <laughs> literally, <May>. yeah. <laughs> like, literally, yes, and metaphoric. Um, he did a good job last night. He did exactly what he needed to, but he's he's got a ways to go before that happens. One more thing I want to say on Rocco is that it was actually interesting to me that when he came in, he looked way more comfortable when he was just playing with the ball, like playing in build-up play and stuff like that, than he was actually making saves and like mm -hmm. doing more traditional goalkeeper things, uh, which is probably one of the reasons why Gabriel Heinze liked him so much is because I think that these modern managers who want to play this way, especially in this kind of Bielsa mold, like I think that they see that portion of a goalkeeper's responsibility as important as stopping shots. Now, I guess the big question is, though, does he start next week? And I kind of have to assume he does. It seems crazy, again, considering his age and his size and everything like that. But 
Dude did make a Atlanta United CCR record six saves last night, Joe Patrick. That's six. right. Um, fortunate for him that I think Alohuin Lenze was just trying to put any shot on goal to try to test him at, at points, um, and he was able to collect some pretty easy saves. But, hey, yeah, you got to give it to him. And, yeah, I think that he will be the goalkeeper because I don't know why they would reverse course and go to somebody else after they made him the backup for this game. He'll probably just – he'll sign another four-day four contract next Monday or Tuesday or whatever, and – um, and he'll play again. And he can sign, by the way, he, they can sign four uh, of those short-term contracts, I think, per year. So this is one that he signed. He'll have to sign another for the next week's game. So then you only have two left, so we'll see what happens after that. We'll see what happens after that with that position. We'll also see what kind of happens with right back. We have some questions about Ronald Hernandez. Joe, do you have any potential updates on No. No, don't know where he was. We don't know where a lot of these guys were, to be totally honest. we Again, we were told before the game that everyone was available, and then it kind of seemed like maybe they kind of weren't. So yeah. we don't really know. Maybe we'll see Ronald at right back sometime soon, but it obviously wasn't last night. I doubt it will be in the second leg because, honestly, and this was a lot of the questions were about, Lennon looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was uh, kind of a classic Brooks Lennon performance and just in terms of the effort that he was giving um, – and I really think that, you know, a lot of people have questions as to, like, is Brooks Lennon a right back? Is he a winger? Is he this or that? I really think that he is, if you look at his best qualities, I think that those do match up with being a fullback. And I think that if he wants to, you know, achieve the most that he can in his career in terms of potentially making the U.S. men's national team or securing a move to a, a club in Europe at some point, I do think that right back is the place where he will be able to do that. And I think that he really should go kind of full bore, full effort into making himself the best fullback that he can possibly be because he gives you a ton of energy up that side, which is kind of the most important thing for somebody like that. Um, his defensive instincts aren't perfect, but they're getting better. I think I thought that he was relatively solid defensively last night, um, which obviously the effort helps in that regard. And, you know, he does enough offensively. He's not great. His final ball isn't perfect but he's decent in possession and yeah I mean I thought that he asserted himself well I thought that you know he'll definitely um he's going to provide competition as the top right back in this team for sure yeah that final ball isn't quite Gressel-esque but it is good mm -hmm. it is good the, the ball from the wing he played a couple corners last night too that just had some heat yeah I mean he, he can do that he can do that from the wing and it's such a value for the team and it's going to be a value and the system going forward, we, I'm still interested to see what Hernandez brings to the table. But Lennon probably earned his spot pretty well if last you, night, especially I, with just the simple, like you said, the effort that he put in. What, what, what you saw from Lennon last night is a perfectly acceptable, if not a, like above average, uh, MLS right back, which is perfect. That's great. I'll take it all day, all day. Joe, another roster decision, though, that, that maybe hurt your heart a little bit was that Eric Lopez did not show up in any of the match day squad. Uh, I'm sorry. First off, I know I can't believe Gabriel Lanze would, would personally attack you like that so early in the season. But Jonathan asked, Lopez not making the squad, going to be hard for him to crack if he's battling Joseph and Lissandro all year that's not really a question that's more of a statement I just kind of wanted to twist the knife a little shots bit, fired I feel like these are <laughs> shots fired coming right at me he will have no problem cracking the squad um he's got a slashed eyebrow so that kind of <laughs> just like makes him starting material 
I was genuinely surprised to not see him, and I was even more surprised that it was Jake Mulraney taking his place, which kind of leads to this next question. We can loop this in from Rob. Rob asks, is Jurgen Dom in trouble? Yes. Maybe, I yeah. think. I think, yeah, <laughs> if Jake Mulraney is getting the start. Because you, you mentioned near the top of the show that you thought Mulraney did pretty well. I thought there were times where he surprised himself by how well he did and then panicked <laughs> yeah. at being sure actually good and then you know booted the ball about 40 feet over everyone said there was one incredible run where he got through a whole bunch of people cut into the box kind of got to the inline which is just exactly what you want from a winger uh you see cool things all the time they're like get the inline the raheem sterling zone the yeah. raheem sterling zone exactly exactly you see city do it all the time he did that, except the end product was him. He literally kicked it out for a throw-in <laughs> over everyone's head. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> there was another time, too, where he had, like, a nice little... Uh, I can't remember if it was, like, a dribble or, a, like, a nice little, like, tight passing combination to kind of get himself out of... Relieve some pressure in a tight spot. And then he tried a cross-field switch that just went, like, so far over, <laughs> over right, Jordan yeah. Bellow's head. <laughs> So those things are problematic. Yeah, right? yeah, that those is problematic. I, I think what great. I what I said, I was kind of like pleased with what I saw from him. It was maybe based on the, versus the expectation that I had going in, which was not you know super high. But um, and I also just like you know he's he's clearly not a player who's like a, one of your top players. He's probably honestly at the very bottom in terms which of which is. <laughs> <laughs> Which is stuff we all said before when someone asked us on the show about him potentially playing on the right wing. And we said, nah. Yeah, I know, right. Because we just <laughs> like to be wrong, apparently. <laughs> yeah. But we said, nah. We apologize to that person because you were obviously right. Yes. Um, do I like it? No. Do I think it's the way forward? Probably not. But considering, I guess, what we had, maybe if Lopez has a knock we don't know about or, or something like that, I guess that's the move. Honestly, he did everything Jurgen Dom would have done, right? Like, he got to the end line and had no end product. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, true. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it honestly is more worrisome for Jurgen Dom's prospects when you consider the fact that he was at least in the match day squad, but only available for the bench and never came on, um, despite the fact that Gabriel Heinze especially <laughs> had unused subs. subs. <laughs> um uh, but I think with Eric Lopez, he had to it had to have been a knock. It had to have been an injury. There's no way that you like put Machop Chol and Tyler Wolf on the bench over Eric Lopez, who's a U22. You know, played for yeah. He has so many credentials and he's shown his quality in preseason. There's no way you put those players on the bench over him unless he can't play for some reason. We'll move back a little bit in the formation and get to talk even more about the guy who was maybe. I would say he was the second best guy on the pitch. We'll get to that later. But y'all had a bunch of questions about Santiago, Sosa, uh, Keaton asked Sosa, Barco, and Rocco put in a lot of work last night to get a W. Which one of these guys do you think will make a bigger impact going into the regular season from what you saw last night? TT Quick asked Santiago Sosa. Now they're dropping dimes left and right. Do we have Verticalidad? Now, Niall asks, is Sosa an MLS best 11 caliber player? And McLufus asked, who's the leader on the field last night? It kind of felt like it was Sosa. All yeah. these, that's, that's like a bunch of questions with a lot of big, big praise kind of tucked into that, right? And I agree with a lot of y'all. I want to maybe start with Niall's point because I don't know if best 11 caliber player is there. There's kind of a shocking amount of very good defensive midfielders 
in MLS. You think about Jose Martinez, you think about Diego Chara and other guys like that. There's some really, really good dudes at defensive midfielder, that number, Argentine number five, et cetera. But for what he is tasked with doing in this system, which is dropping in between the center backs and possession and spraying the ball and picking it up when need be, he was phenomenal. And if that mm-hmm. continues, that's a big, big plus for Atlanta. I think when Keaton asks who do I think makes the bigger impact going forward into the regular season, I think that it is Santiago Sosa because the role he plays, it's like being, it's like the quarterback of a, of an American football team. You know, it's like he's the one who's going to be on the ball the most, who's going to be making a lot of the decisions that kind of get the play going uh, in order for these attackers to then capitalize on. But it's so important that he's able to do his job and do it well. And I thought that he showed that, it wasn't a flawless performance, but in terms of like his positioning and just being smart and doing the right things when he needed to, I thought it was more or less flawless. The passes weren't always on point, but you can just see the building blocks there, and it's so promising. I think that that's why people are so excited about it. Uh, I just retweeted this morning, and I think that you retweeted it from the Dirty South Soccer account, or somebody did, um, the a post that I had written about him after one of the preseason games. And to be honest, when I wrote that post, I wasn't sure if that's exactly what we were going to see when games were actually happening for real. I thought maybe that's something you work on to try to implement down the road. But um, I think that it does kind of show kind of what his role is and describe that a little bit more in depth. Yeah, no, it was excellent. It was excellent. And like you said, not everything was perfect, but there's that meme going around on Twitter right now about this guy understood the assignment and Santiago Sosa understood the assignment, right? Like, and as long as he continues to do that, Atlanta United's going to keep moving forward and it's going to be a lot of fun. And to the leadership point, I just keep coming back to that little, that little, the little kiss on miles. Yeah. Like that, that, that's going to stick with me and hopefully it's, it's a sign of what's to come. So, you know what else is to come? What's that? Whether you're ready or not, this is rapid fire. Nelson asks, are we back? We back. Gabe asks, thoughts on Joseph? We didn't really get to touch on this, but thoughts on Joseph. Rapid fire. Oh, I hate doing this in rapid fire because I do have thoughts on Joseph. I am pessimistic. Oh, oh, wow. Wait, hold on. Stop the Stop the music or whatever. We can't actually hear it right now, but like theoretically <laughs> yeah. in the thing, you went back and put the music. We'll talk about it later. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was um, I, a, a week ago or so, maybe a couple weeks ago, I was watching a replay of the 2018 MLS Cup final and Joseph just looks like a machine in that like physically the way he's moving on the field. um. And then when you see, he just doesn't look the same. He just doesn't doesn't look the same. And I think you could see the rustiness. I think it's just going to take him quite a bit of time to get back. Like even maybe toward the end of the season before we really see Joseph Martinez become the Joseph Martinez that we know. I did watch him pull out of a couple of tackles last night and I immediately noticed it. Again, he talked about it in his press conference a while back. Just he doesn't quite trust his leg yet. And he's been pulling out of tackles in, in practice apparently. And that showed up on the field a couple of times. He didn't necessarily need to to clatter into anybody, but you could see, I think, some hesitancy. That may be confirmation bias on my part, but I did see it, right? And to be fair to him, he came on in a game state, hashtag game state, where Atlanta was down to 10 guys, and they weren't really getting opportunities to go forward. 
I still think right now he's a better option than Lissandro, right? Who looked, and I kind of joked about in the Slack, like I, I don't really believe this yet, but I kind of said, is he maybe just Adam John with a resume? Which is extremely harsh and not true at all, but he didn't look spectacular. Apparently he struggled in Birmingham a lot too as well with his finishing. That may come, you know, he, he's an older guy. But still, I, I don't know. Joseph, I understand the pessimism. I, I do. I do. I think, like you said, it just may take some time. But I want to see it in a in a situation where he's actually getting fed the ball and spots to score, right? Sure, sure. I, my, my concern with him is I'm mainly or solely talking just about the physical nature of his return, um, less so tactical and that kind of thing. Come on, Sam. This is rapid we fire. I finally are, get a chance to. God damn it. <laughs> we are back to rapid fire. Five stripe forklift or firm. What? Ask how much of a bloodbath will next Tuesday be? Getting a little confident. It could be the other way. It could be the other way. Let's flip this. Does Atlanta United get it done next Tuesday, Jeff Patrick? I do think they do, but I think it might be a bloodbath more in terms of like actual physical blood being spilled. <laughs> I think that it's going to be a very chippy game. I think they get it done, especially with all the folks out for LA Wednesday, which brings us to Smurphy asking who was out for LDA on Tuesday due to travel issues. I don't know the exact names. I don't think anyone does quite right now. We do know that Marcel Hernandez for sure will not be traveling due to legal issues. That's their striker. It's probably their best player, not named Brian Ruiz. Roco Rios Novo Stan account. Uh, keep in mind the source here. Ask. Who starts leg two and goal since Guz is suspended? Do we ride the hot hand or swap in Lundgaard? I think we already asked this and answered it, it but, but let it ride. Rocco. Bar asks, what are other mustaches with brilliant single game performances in their careers? I'm going to say Michael Sarah's mustache in Youth in Revolt. Serenity asks, who is the most surprising player on the field for you two, positive or negative? Joe Patrick, go. I think I was most surprised at how sloppy Barco was. I think I was maybe most surprised that Ibarra got to play. And I, I wasn't surprised they did well, but I was happy that he did well. But yeah, no, Zeke, Zeke was uh, definitely a standout for sure. Ezra asks, who is the man of the match player from each of you? I think like technically the man of the match was Rocco, but for me, the best player on the field was Miles. That's what I would say as well. Jeb asks, general ref question, because without VAR, I've never seen a yellow pulled, then the ref gets yelled at by players, and without a conference from the other officials decides to hold it up from a yellow to a red, my rational and even-headed query is, what the hell? Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. No, no, Jeb, I think you said it all. I think you said it all. I, Bizarre. Yeah, I was shocked to see the red card actually come out after he had initially pulled the yellow. I think he just pulled the wrong card. I'm going to give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Vizalba with the ZH. Ask, who is holding Joe Patrick hostage in his Twitter profile pic? That's a good point. I need to switch out that profile pic, but I got to lose the COVID-19 first before, you know, I get my new Abby in there. We love it. We love it. And that was rapid fire. Joe Patrick, we have, in addition to this show, folks are listening to you right now, a whole bunch of stuff going up on the Patreon. We had an interview with Matt Doyle from Extra Time Radio and the Mothership go up the other day. He had a lot of insight. From a national perspective, about Atlanta United and a bunch of the teams we'll be facing pretty continually in the Eastern Conference this year due to the weird scheduling nature of this year. But, Joe Patrick, we also have, and we don't want to spoil it yet, we don't want to spoil it yet, but I would say our biggest guest ever coming up, hopefully tomorrow. 
Thursday. Without a doubt, without a doubt, our biggest guest ever. Looking forward to talking to that person. Yes, whoever that person, whomever that person might be. Go check out our Patreon, it's Five Stripe Final. You can check it out on Twitter. You can find it on patreon.com slash Five Stripe Final. We got a lot of good stuff coming to you every day, including sound bites from players and coaches, other exclusive content that you can only get there. And again, over 100 patrons. Big deal. Big deal, in our opinion. We appreciate all of y'all. We love y'all. Joe, any thoughts to close us out? It is so much nicer doing this podcast when we have actual soccer to talk about. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That'll do it. Let's get out of here. Bye, all.